Welcome to the Waitlist Podcast, broadcasting to you from the land of horses and bourbon, Louisville, Kentucky. I am Tom, and I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague, Brad, and we are on the data science team at Capture Higher Ed. Good afternoon, Brad. How are you, sir? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing doing great. We are back for episode 11 after a little bit of a break, so thank you for allowing us to take some time out. Uh, Brad, you actually took some time out in a big way. You actually took some time off and uh, did some vacationing. Isn't that right? I did. Yeah. For, for those of you out there who uh, don't take vacations, I, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I went and wandered around a little bit with, uh, with my wife and had, uh, had some time to drink beer and hang out. So it was great. It's good That's, to be back though. It is. Uh, hopefully people do get some time off. I know it's really hard. Enrollment managers find it hard. They, their vacation time is so condensed in one particular part in the cycle of the season um, that please take some time off. Resh- you know, sharpen the saw. For me, I yeah. I, uh, I coach Little League. And the weird thing is uh, spending time with you know eight-year-olds uh, could be relaxing, but getting out on the ballpark you know, early in the spring after it's been cold and rainy and there's something about that. It's quite intoxicating and uh, it's a lot of fun. I love coaching and uh, it's a great way to sort of give back to my community, but it's also something I really enjoy. So that's actually what I did over the last month. Nice. Nice. For for uh, listeners out there who aren't familiar, uh, Tom is incredible at putting together a lineup and a rotation for outfield positioning. So I have seen it and it is uh, it is data driven. <laughs> I will neither uh, confirm nor deny that I actually keep statistics. So I'm actually keeping up with where the other place. I know this is horrible. This sounds really bad, but it's true. Where did the kid hit it and where should I put the players? It's just I, it's how I keep my brain activated when I'm in a little league baseball. That's horrible. I'm going to get lots of tweets about this. Eight-year-old spray charts, you know, it's, <laughs> they're never, never too young. I may have some more statistics on some of my kids. I don't know. All right. Oh, that's amazing. So, so um, uh, it's Friday, man. Let's let's have ourselves a Friday. Beer. Absolutely. Well, I'll go first. So I'm continuing to try and uh, uh, bring notoriety to some Kentucky beers, and we actually enjoyed this last time we were in town. And I love the can. <laughs> so can design has become so much cooler uh, over the last I don't know, five years. And I'm uh, I'm going to be enjoying a Braxton Brewing Company. They're out of Covington, Kentucky, and it's their revamp IPA, and it is delicious. And I'm going to tweet out a picture of the side of the can. I just think it's totally uh, awesome. So I'm going to enjoy that. What do you got? To, what do you got today? So I'm drinking um, a Red Hook Pale. Uh, I just have their standard American Pale Ale, um, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the Pacific Northwest. And uh, Red Hook has always put out good beers. I imagine we're going to get a few tweets from people who are like, "It's owned by the man," you know, in in terms of uh, macro brewing uh, conversations that we hear up. But uh, it's a delicious beer, and I'm excited because every beer is great on a Friday afternoon. There you go. All right. So uh, what do you say we get in there? Cheers, man. That is really good. And the unusual bottle shape is also very fun to drink out of. That. So we're going to go back to a segment that we haven't done actually in quite a while. We're going to do our big number. And, you know, if you think about it, data, it, it is true. Data is all around us. It's right from the data of our smartphones generate, your online browsing, to the thermostat that in your home, it's collecting data all the time to the data that your car generates. This is called like uh, often called data exhaust. 
and Brad, you actually told me a story once about a about you learned about an electronic car company, and that every time you connected in the 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 car to charge, it uploaded this huge amount of data about the car yeah. usage. Is that right? Yeah, that's uh, Tesla does that. So uh, for Tesla owners out there, you pull in your garage, and every night it's telling you a bunch of data. Um, and this came to light after uh, some reviewer wrote up a review of one of the new Tesla models and said that it wasn't going right around curves and all that. And Elon Musk himself wrote out a, a <laughs> blog post at like 3 o'clock in the morning. It was like, our data indicates that you actually weren't driving that fast and you weren't in that location. So people were a little bit, uh, a little bit freaked out uh, by the uh, overbearingness of Elon Musk. But um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the term that's out there a lot is called the Internet of Things, where basically everything is now connected to the Internet, and all of that is creating some sort of, uh, some sort of data footprint. And so what we want to do is discuss some sort of data point that we think gets missed um, or perhaps sort of lost in the deluge and something we think tells a story that we think is worth hearing. And so I'm going to go first. My number comes from the Inside Higher Ed coverage of the recent Nakubo discounting report uh, released about a week ago. And some of these are not surprising at all, but we, we continue to see a long-standing trend going back more than a decade of rising tuition discounting. Of course, the headline is that it's creeping ever closer to 50%. Uh, so tuition discount rate for the first time full-time students hit an estimated 49.1% in 2016 and 17. So that's up from 48% the previous year. And I won't go through all the statistics, but generally the, the theme of this report is that more people are getting aid Grants themselves are getting bigger. Competition is getting fiercer um, in an almost unabated fashion. But th those aren't actually my numbers. My number is 44. And 44% represent in this, this survey of uh, university business officers, 44% said that their discounting strategies were sustainable in the long term. And I just find that uh, unreal. <laughs> I, I'm gobsmacked by that. Uh, economically, that doesn't make much sense to me. And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping, Brad, that you can talk me off of this ledge. Like That doesn't economically make any sense. If our costs as an overall you, you know, higher education system, our costs keep going up well beyond that of CPI, of, <laughs> and, and we keep discounting more and more, this cannot just go on forever. Uh, true. Uh, I, I think that you're being gobsmacked is probably the, uh, the right response to that. Um, it's also interesting the way that that statistic was presented that 44% think that it is, uh, sustainable. And this is the exact sort of, uh, behavioral economics question that, uh, to, you know, Tversky and Kahneman discovered. Let me put it to you another way. 56% would argue that it is not sustainable. Uh, and that just sounds a little bit scarier. <laughs> which, Even though it's the same. which which one is uh, actually scarier? Uh, yeah. They're 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 mathematically the same. I'd say the second one is probably uh, a little bit scarier, but um, but the the only the only sort of solace I can take in that kind of number is uh, is the sense. So, what was the actual term you used? That it's not sustainable over the long term. Long term. Yeah. 
Right. They, they, they provide different breakouts of some that said that their strategies were sustainable in the short term, but not the long term. And others that said it was only they only would answer that it was sustainable in the short term. The amount of individuals who said that their strategies were not sustainable was only nine percent. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think the, the only data point that I would want to request in addition to that before completely freaking out would be to understand the sort of time horizons or the economic cycles that we're talking about for university business officers. Because, um, you know, I, I tend to think of university colleges and universities as, as uh, pretty longstanding institutions. I mean, there are uh, some universities that are a thousand years old. And uh, it makes me wonder if some of these folks think, you know, the short term is probably like 20 or 25 years, whereas in a normal business cycle, that might be like 12, 15, 18 months, whatever. Um, so if the short term is a legitimately short term, that number is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. If the short term like five, is more like – I think it's like five years and 10 years is the – beyond mm, 10 years is the long term. Yeah, that's um, – that is that's not going to make me want to eat dessert tonight. No, that's that is that that's hard. Well, we don't want to do um, that. We don't want to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that the the th there's clear evidence that the pricing and discounting strategy is unsustainable, and it's just fascinating to recognize how many people who are in that position of knowing that are so self-aware of uh, of the fact that they can't keep doing this forever. Well, it, and it's going to be further complicated, I think, by the next major wave that I think is going to be coming in terms of university pricing, which is a, a wave of, of tuition-free public institutions, completely free community colleges. You're seeing a much greater uh, attention. You got the New York uh, plan that's out there. Of course, you got the state of Tennessee making community college free for everybody. Uh, so there, this is, you know, we talk about the the volatility in the in the system. Uh, it's not, it's only going to get worse. So uh, yeah, I'd say eat your dessert now. All right, done. Yeah, uh, I will. All right, man. Enough of the dour. What do you got? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I, so um, I have I have a data point. I, uh, I I was pretty interested. I I recently read this book that uh, a lot of people have been talking about. It's a book by this dude named J D Vance. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. Oh yeah. Um, and it's been on the bestseller list forever. And so I finally took a crack. Uh, and we can probably talk about this book for a long time for a number of different reasons, but the story is basically of a really low income guy who ends up making a lot of himself and telling the story. It's a, basically a memoir. Um, and he, he writes pretty extensively for, for it being a short book about how higher education really was his, um, his ladder for upward mobility. Um, and so he went to uh, Ohio state university as an undergrad, and then he uh, went on to law school. Um, and part of that was the comp the complexity of filling out financial aid forms. By the way, I'm not ruining this book for anyone. This isn't some crazy spoiler. You'll read it and you'll say, yeah, that, that makes good sense. So I just wanted to find out what the numbers were on that for folks who uh, don't fill out the financial aid forms, which is clearly a, a pretty substantial barrier to, uh, to uh, attendance in higher ed. And if you believe this book and if you believe all of the sort of uh, economic studies that are out there, that higher ed attendance is a major uh, stepping stone toward uh, entry into the American middle class. And so I found that an NCES study found that 20% of undergraduate students did not apply for any financial aid uh, for the 2011-2012 year. 
Um, now that is an average. The uh, when you disaggregate that by academic sector, it kind of goes all over the map. So they they do highlight the fact that um, that that number is thirty uh, percent of students in public two year institutions, and it goes all the way down to five percent of students in for profits. So twenty percent kind of lumps everybody together. Um, I also found another study that was uh, that was similar, and I, I think the Digging into the methodology would be would be pretty interesting, but um, a, a site called Nerd Wallet, uh, which is kind of a financial advice site, found that uh, in two, in uh, 2014, one uh, just you know 1.4 million high school graduates did not fill out a FAFSA. Now, of course, it's worth noting that not every student who uh, graduates from high school moves on to college, but um, of those 1.4 million, um, they estimate that 747,000 and change, which is 51.7%, um, would potentially be uh, Pell eligible. So again, that's uh, 1.4 million high school graduates not filling out the FAFSA, and of those, more than half uh, potentially being Pell eligible. So uh, I, I feel like we're bearers of bad news today, but um, it's it's an interesting conversation about the fact that there are these federal dollars available and there are these opportunities um, and you need to fill out paperwork, which is, uh, at least according to this book uh, and anyone who's filled it out, uh, very difficult and complicated. Um, and that that does obviously present a, a considerable bar barrier um, to enter into colleges and universities. Well, I don't think it's necessarily a, a, just being negative. I think you're pointing out a, 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 a statistic that a lot of people in higher education care a lot about. And, uh, you know, the, the saying of uh, a, a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved. And I think you have to be willing to look at it uh, and say, well, well, how can we get more and more people to fill it out? You know, can we make it simpler? Does it have to be this, this onerous? Can, can, we, can we try and uh, do a variety of different things? Obviously, PPY you know, helped. I, I think it's fair to say that it helped. At least it moved it and expanded it outward. But it certainly isn't enough, I don't think. And the uh, results on that are still inconclusive. We'll have to it wait is. until next year to find out. Okay. So our main topic to this afternoon is, is, is the idea of marketing attribution. How do you know what is working in your recruitment? So we're in a new, you know, this May 1 timeframe, and uh, there's going to be a lot of this sort of intense navel-gazing data-wise, you know, where institutions are asking some uh, critical questions, critical questions of their uh, recruitment data, which ultimately bubble up to the question is, what did we do that worked? And how can we repeat it? How can we adjust it? How can we improve upon it? I know those are lots of questions, but this is a, a time where you're getting the results, basically. The, the, the feedback echo of data has now come back around. And I'm fascinated by the way that Higher education enrollment management answers that question. How can we assess recruitment success beyond just did we make the class or not? Should we have this type of marketing channel? Should we do more recruitment travel? Should we do social media marketing? I mean, and all of these things. Like, How do you actually attribute success to a particular uh, recruitment initiative? It's uh, obviously a, uh, an incredibly compelling question. And um, as much as the enrollment management profession um, is 
focused on data and has a lot of data. Um, I think it's our contention, and feel free to uh, to disagree. I don't want to speak for both of us. That the actual when you get to the actual point of measurement, when you actually look at the data and you say, "How do we understand this?" That um, the tools that are being used in, uh, in in the current space are uh, are fairly rudimentary and potentially politely misguided. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. I think what you see is that, uh, yet again, you have name-selling organizations that are dominating the mind space, that are dominating the thinking here, that what we tend to think about is is first source. Where did we first hear about this student, or how did we first come to know about them? Uh, you know, Obviously, there's a lot of people who have a lot of concerns about a stealth applicant the first. Again, so we're very, very uh, first-touch, first-source uh, centric. And we kept wondering about, well, what are some other fields perhaps that have, have assessed this kind of problem and have they come up with some solutions? And of course there is. And the field that we want to focus on is the field of online retail or online marketing, where there is a, a term of multi-channel marketing or omni-channel marketing, where you have different qualitatively different bundles of marketing techniques that uh, you want to assess towards an, an outcome, in this particular case, a sale. And this field of inquiry has been given a name. It's multi-channel marketing attribution. So if you Google that, you can go out and look and uh, read up all about it. It's some interesting stuff. I promise you it's interesting. Uh, and of course, Google Analytics, uh, if you are an AdWords customer, has introduced some, some really interesting machine learning driven tools. Uh, this is about a year ago that allow you to develop a multi-channel marketing attribution model. And so we wanted to kind of go through those different kinds because I think it, it, it tells a story about how an industry such as you know online marketing has tried to assess what are all the combinations and pieces of the puzzle and how much credit should each piece get towards the final uh, whole. So Tom, let's take a quick step back. I think we've used a lot of terminology, but there might be folks out there who uh, who listen to us who who might not exactly know what we're talking about. So let me throw a scenario out for you. I uh, am a 17-year-old student. I show up to a college fair at the convention center that's downtown in my city, and there are hundreds of colleges there. And one of them seems particularly interesting because they have pretty pictures, and they're telling me that I can study abroad. I walk up to their table. I fill out a card give them all my contact information and go home for the night. I eat dessert because I do. And then a process happens. A lot of things happen. I do all kinds of things over the next six months. And it turns out that lo and behold, six months later, uh, as a uh, senior in high school, I enroll in this particular institution because I'm really interested in a pretty campus and a place where I can study abroad. That institution, in turn, looks at this data, and and based on what you're telling me, what conclusion do they reach? They say this student came from that college, uh, that college fair. That's what we can and, attribute. This 100% more or less goes to that college fair. That's the first source. And, and therefore, next year when the college fair invite comes, we should go. They look well, at it and say, how many students? Awesome. Yeah, how many students did were were converted, so to speak, from that college fair? 
And that's a method that I think is used. And and look, and I'm not dogging it. It, it is it is a method. You know, so so at least they're using data in some form. But as we'll talk, there's a couple of different ways that you can can tackle that. That kind of approach is actually called uh, a first click or first interaction attribution. You're giving 100% of the credit, if you will, to the very first thing that happened. So in if it's a um, you know, a search bot name and you've communicated with them and then they responded, search gets the credit. And furthermore, you know, uh, it, Nurkua or, P, you know, the PSAT or ACT is the source. And so that source gets the credit as well. But if you think about it, it's, it's the truth lies more in the combination of different interactions. And if you were to only look at it as first attribution, it's really like thinking about if you're trying to look at, you know, yield plant, plant yield, um, it, that you're giving 100% of the credit for that plant yield on the planting of the seed in the ground. None of the other sort of interactions, if you want to call it that, the, the, the care and feeding, if you will, of the watering and the sun and every day and everything that contributed to how that plant grew gets none of the credit. And the truth is it's all of it. Again, so let's start with terms. Touch points. What is a different touch point? And in the online marketing space, this is called multi-channel marketing, which might result in uh, looking at social media marketing as a bucket, as a as an initiative that could be undertaken and budgeted for. Uh, paid search term advertising, referral sites, uh, direct traffic. It's all the different types of ways you can interact with a customer uh, are lined up and then assessed. And you're able to attribute back to each of those uh, whether an individual uh, engaged in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, if you targeted them with an ad, did they click on it? Did they receive an impression, et cetera? For enrollment management, those buckets are more like uh, off-campus recruitment, on-campus recruitment, uh, social media marketing, uh, search, uh, digital display. Obviously, within digital display and search, you could even break it out to different kinds, whether it's email marketing, whether it's direct mail. But each of those represent a, you know, a branch of your recruitment and marketing. And what you're trying to do is in your data, try to identify, did the student respond in some form to that marketing? If they came and saw you at a college fair, did they come to a visit? Did they engage with you uh, uh, through social media marketing and the ads? That's a, a data point that you can get. Of course, search, you can uh, count a response. That's when we talk about the multi-channel for higher ed and enrollment. That's what we're talking about. And so if you were to line these things up, uh, what was the first thing that occurred? That's your first click. That's your first uh, interaction. Another way to go, of course, is last click. It's the last thing that happened before the conversion. And when we talk about conversion, it's important that we understand exactly what we're talking about. Are you talking about the last thing that happened before they applied? Are you talking about the last thing that occurred before they enrolled? So those touch points may actually be very different or I guess to say that after a student's applied and been admitted, there's some additional touch points that could be applied for housing or these other types of uh, outreach that takes place uh, between the time that they're admitted and they enrolled that forms another type of channel that you're communicating through. 
I'm I'm following you. What my my mind is my mind is already off to the races with how combinations of these work. But we can talk about that in another time because that gets us into beer and diaper space. It does. So I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm following you. I'm tracking. Keep keep telling me, man. I'm I'm actually I'm intrigued by what you're what you're going through. Okay. What, so what no- other options are there? There's first. There's last. Surely there's some a- some average of them, right? Right. So the 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 reality. And then what a lot of research has shown is that the truth is that it's not just the first or the last. It's, it's everything. It's all the different pieces and how they interact. So one way, if you didn't know which of those touch points were the most important, you could simply line them up and grant each one equal weight. And just everybody gets a certificate. You know, if I'm going back to baseball, I hate to say it. And I can say this because I was that kid, you know, I barely hit the ball, right? You know, I, I would swing and it would be miles away. Uh, I was perpetually in left field. I, I feel like I grew up okay. Uh, but this was certainly something that was real. That in This model, I would get equal credit for our wins as the home run hitter who's the, you know, the big bruiser at first base. That, that's what this is. Everybody gets the trophy. Everybody gets a certificate. Not, not, not to bust your chops on this analogy, but, but is, is, that, is that exactly the case? Because it doesn't seem like we're measuring the degree or the, the sort of uh, intensity of these actions. What you're basically doing is you're looking at them in sort of a temporal way. There's a first thing, there's a second thing, there's a third thing, there's a fourth thing. Obviously, no model or no sort of uh, statistical assessment of anything would give the same credit to the kid who wanders around picking flowers in left field <laughs> as they do to Javi Baez, right? It's uh, what, what, what I think is, is a, a more appropriate way of looking at this is when you don't know what the actual impact is, you're spreading them out temporally. There's number one, there's number two, there's number three, they're in a series. And over the ser- over, over the course of an entire recruitment, you might bump into 10 or 15 of these different channels. And so the way it's working right now is assuming you don't know the value that's assigned to that, which is a big if, that, and which makes a big difference in your baseball analogy. Mm-hmm. Assuming you don't know that a college fair is any different from clicking on an email, you have to come up with something. And it seems as though what higher ed has uh, has leaned pretty heavily on is just one of these, which is the first interaction. You're also arguing that there's the last interaction. And then the, the other one would be that, you know, you have 10 of these things and each one gets 10%, um, you know, and then surely there, surely there's like the custom version, right? The like, I'm just going to arbitrarily or statistically assign each one of these things based on some uh, either value that's deduced from some sort of uh, regression modeling or just the way higher ed often likes it. Just let's just guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, but like, so that's a thing, right? Someone could say, okay, a college fair, clearly a student came mm-hmm. on a weeknight when they could have been doing other things. They parked their car. They maybe paid eight bucks. They walked in, they have the opportunity costs that could be doing something else. And in addition to all of that, they went up to your table and they filled something out maybe just to get a free pen, but probably not. So that might get assigned more credit in in a sort of custom-based model, right? Yeah, so what you're doing is you're actually taking the and identifying different paths. And so... Exactly. Right, so there's a... And this is in order, in actually time-based temporal order. 
So yep. if you had, you got all the different touch points that only have one. And so how many people only connected with you on one and set them to yeah. the side? And then you yeah. have those that connected with you on two, three, four. So exactly. let's say when you do all line that up, um, if you have a majority of those paths having two or more, then you will want to look at some of these attribution models that combine. Obviously, it doesn't make much sense to do first and last when there's two. But if there's multiple and you're looking at the combination yep. of things, you're going to need to have fun, find some way to do it. And yes, you could do it via you know a custom model where you are you know, thinking through and identifying the different weights using your you know your own biases. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I should, probably should have said expertise. Using your expertise uh, to identify the weights. Um, there there is a couple other options uh, if you wanted to have a, a you know a less wrong attribution model. You could use what's called a time decay model. And what a time decay model do, is, does is it looks at your path and says, okay, well, whichever one was uh, time-based, uh, more uh, recent to the conversion activity that I want, that gets more credit than the one that's earlier on. And that actually might be a good model to use, given that in many cases, you know, this recruitment sales cycle, if you want to think about it that way, I know people cringe when I say it that way, but in the analogy that we're using for online marketing, that's what it is. Uh, in this case, it's it running potentially two years or, you know, 18 months. Uh, where you know the logic goes that the thing that happens most recently for uh, an individual student would carry the most weight. So if you had five things, each one would you know ramp up in terms of the uh, amount of credit it gets uh, for the overall conversion. So it's sort of compounding. The first one gets a little bit of credit because it happened so long ago, but then the second one built upon the first one, and then the third one built upon those previous two, and so on. So you get a little bit of a compounding effect, which, by the way, is the opposite of decay. So I'm curious who came up with that name. But Oh, right. Good point. Yeah, good point. Know, it's, it's, it, it's sort of a, an aggregate or a compounding model. But I, I get that, that, there, that if someone's been in contact with you for a long time, each subsequent contact is sort of more valuable than the previous ones. Is that, that's right. That's right. I, I that's totally right. buy that. that. That seems super reasonable to me, but I, I imagine that uh, what seems super reasonable to me is uh, crazy talk to others. <laughs> and of course we, certainly the one we would think would hold the most promise is, you know, a machine learning driven model where it's actually assessing. And this is how this would, you know, methodologically it could work is where you are, you have your path, you, and let's say you have your 15 different paths that have a, a large enough in of students who've engaged in all of those different things. Uh, what a machine learning algorithm could do is um, do sort of a progressive removal. And what that means is it's literally taking one of those touch points out, assessing the effect or the delta in how many people are converting or some other type of statistical means. And then it's just, you know, putting it back in and it goes to the next one, pulls it out, puts it back in. And it keeps doing that, you know, umpteen million times. And by doing that, you're able to see this net effect. What unique contribution did that touch point seem to have? And you then can overlay that by the amount of money that you spent on that channel and you can sure. see the amount of disconnect perhaps if you're spending you know a third of your budget on you know off-campus recruitment but it's only accounting for three percent of the overall contribution to the conversion then you might want to think about scaling back 
uh, th th this would be a much better way to appropriate you know, those type of dollars versus your own expertise, shall we say? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, fo folklore and stories, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so to to put that another way, let's just imagine that every single student is is walking a completely unique path. You have ten thousand students in your in your pool, and you're basically they are taking ten thousand different pathways to either enroll or not to enroll. By looking at those pathways and basically figuring out which ones um, have the highest likelihood of converting, you can understand, statistically speaking, not only which individual components are going to matter, but which sort of um, relationship in, in temporal order, this, then this, then this, then this, can, can help contribute to a student's enrollment. That's right. Um, so... If, if somebody wanted to to, uh, to build out one of these models, let's talk about the data set for a second, because I know that we have some data nerds out there, and they're probably going to be curious. Like They're going to start experimenting around. You would probably need what? You would need every single possible contact with yes, every sir. single kid, plus the outcome of whatever happened to them, and a time or date stamp, right? That's correct. So every yeah. touch point, as you can identify it, and then aggregating those perhaps by using a tag of some sort. And then that allows for this bubbling up that you could then uh, show to uh, a decision maker and to say, you know, it looks like this particular um, uh, model um, or this particular you know, touch point contributed this amount. And there are some R packages that are out there. Um, I, we can, we'll make sure to include links to articles and links to these uh, R packages and other types of statistical software that we can find. So, so at the end of the day, this, this, uh, this gets lumped into the category of uh, us constantly asking, do you know what works and prove it? And this is just another method for us to, or not for us, obviously, but for enrollment managers to basically look at uh, a, a tactic that's been probably pretty standardized, which is looking at either first click, first contact, or last contact, and maybe coming up with a more robust way to analyze how their entire recruitment process is working. Is that a basic summary of what we're what we're trying to encourage here? Yeah, absolutely. So they're using first click. Where did the where did the individual student come from? Where did I hear about them? Or last click, they they attended my admitted student program and that contributed. You know, we converted X amount out of that to yield. And again, you got to understand what the intentionality is. The data is available. You know, and, and I, I know right. it's hard sometimes with with CRMs. It's harder to get that data out, but the data is available if you know how to look at it. We can learn from other fields that are a little bit farther down the road uh, from where our industry is right now, and learn a lot from them. So, Brad, we actually have heard about people who listen to our podcast while they're mowing the lawn, while they are uh, <laughs> while they are cleaning out their garage. And we're happy to be along for the ride. So what we'll do is we want to ask you, if, if you have a set time that you listen to the podcast, uh, tweet a picture at, uh, of us, uh, or, or of you listening to the podcast and what you're doing at that time. Uh, tweet at us at, at waitlist. What do you think about that? I, I think it's a great idea. I, I imagine that uh, people probably listen to this a lot on the, the treadmill um, or just drinking heavily i don't know when, when people <laughs> listen to this but either way uh it would be fascinating to see how uh, how this fits into everybody's life i'm actually going to take a picture of us actually uh recording it uh we 
probably uh, have way more fun recording it than you do listening to it. But we'd love to see what you're up to when you're when you're actually uh, taking a listen. You can tweet at us at waitlist. Please uh, do us a favor. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating on iTunes. It really means a lot. We have our pod track listener survey link can be found uh, at capture higher ed slash waitlist. You can also become a friend of the show on the untapped app to check out the beers we enjoy during the podcast and find out where you can get them in your hometown. Just search for the Waitlist Podcast in the Add a Friend section of the app and let us know what your favorite beer is, and we'll include it in a future episode of the show. It means a ton that you've joined us. Thanks for making us part of your day. Cheers, Brad. Cheers, Tom. Thanks so much. The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist.